We've got a lot of things we're going to be talking about this morning. And the first thing we're going to do is we continue because, see, this is the only way you can fight against anything. There's no whether it's the flu, coronavirus or whatever it is, is to make sure you're in the optimal state of nutrition. So what that means is that you don't get to the optimal state of nutrition eating animal-based products. Let me just say that right now. There are no, and I have my co-host in here today, Dr. Thomas Britton, who's going to be able to co-sign on some of this stuff. But the, the, the antioxidants, fiber, phytonutrients, all those things come from plants. And the better the quality of the plant you get, the better the quality of the antioxidants and the phytonutrients that you have. And the better the quality of that, the better your body will be able to uh, bring these things into all of your cells and help you keep yourself well. Dr. Britt, did you want to add anything to that? No, let's go ahead. We'll get back to that a little bit later. But I can't not overemphasize the importance of the immune system. The immune system is our host defense system. It's our military. It's our first line of defense against any and all disease. If your first line of defense is faulty, you will get sick. You may, in fact, perish. You have to have an intact immune system. An immune system is a function of good nutrition, and we can define good nutrition later, but it's a function of good nutrition. And also your immune system is responsive to uh, exercise. You must exercise. The body is not made to be sedentary. It's not made to be sitting all the time. You must exercise. Exercise can influence your and improve your, your immune system as well as good food. You have to eat good food, and good food primarily comes from plant-based. You have to be plant-based. That does not mean you have to be a vegetarian, but you should be moving toward that in some fashion. Um, eat fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, five to nine servings of fresh fruits and vegetables every day. You will improve your immune system. You improve your immune system and you can fight off a variety of diseases. I'm going to leave it there for now. All right. Now, Terry, you know you got to talk about this appetite thing. Just jump on in there right now. <laughs> jump on in there right now with respect to food deserts and people not eating the right kinds of food. And if you don't eat the right kind of food chronically, you may have some problems with appetite. Go, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, a, this is something that's very near to both of our hearts. We presented this idea at the American Public Health Association meeting, which is the national meeting of all the public health people in the world, actually. Yes. And uh, it'll be helpful, hopefully held again this year in San Francisco. But people all heard about appetite deserts, that there aren't uh, an appetite desert is basically where you have. No, 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 no. They've heard about I mean, food, food desert. desert. Food, food desert. desert. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, I know you. I'm, so I'm here. Okay. But uh, the, the food deserts are, and this was, a, this was something that was popularized some time ago by a lady named Mari Gallagher. And she wrote a paper talking, uh, uh, talking about this, looking at these things in Chicago. And there are places in Chicago that actually don't have an opportunity, a store, or someplace for people to even buy a fresh vegetable, even if they wanted it. And many times those are things like corner stores. Are actually, the health departments got involved. We actually got some grants to buy refrigerators mm. for corner stores to be able to have some degree of stock of uh, best fresh fruits and vegetables. But here's the real thing that's a real tragedy. There were two. There was a store over in Maywood, and it was one that, that, that had good fresh fruits and vegetables. The community had cried out for it, but then it went up and it went back down again. And it went back down again because the people didn't support it. 
But the people didn't support it, not because they were being malicious or anything like that. But when you've not eaten beans and greens and okra and different vegetables for it looks like about a generation, you don't know what it is. And even if you have it in your midst, <clears throat> and if you've never eaten it, or even worse, never cooked it or saw it cooked, you won't know what to do with it. Mm. And so what happens, that's what's happening to multiple generations of our children right now. These, I was grow Thomas Earl, what did, you, what did your mama have on your stove, <laughs> at her stove at our house? Collard greens, mustard, spinach, the, the, uh, the uh, turnip bottoms, all of that. All of that. And I grew up with, pinto, with all of that plus pinto beans. My mama had a big pot of beans on the stove every day. Some pinto beans, lima beans, black-eyed peas, something. Purple hull peas, crowd of peas. That's what we grow up to. You pink grow proud of peas? You go no, pr- pink out purple peas. Purple hull peas. I got a story I ain't going to tell. I got in big trouble <laughs> with them purple hull peas, so I had to peel them all the time. I won't tell the story. Go ahead, Terry. Tell it <laughs> about the, his appetite. But the, but, the, but the thing is, is that if you don't get a chance to eat this stuff, on a regular basis, you won't have a taste for it. And when you don't have a taste for it, you won't go looking for it. Because your taste buds, especially our younger generation, is being engineered for processed foods. It's not being engineered for them to even want to eat black-eyed peas and crowded peas, even if they could get them, or greens, spinach, turnips, collards, you want, uh, most kids don't even know what that is. A lot of the younger ones don't know what it is, let alone how to cook it. And as a result, if they don't know what it is, never tasted it, they won't eat it. And so that is what we call an appetite desert. When you have large tracts of land where you've had the plethora of, of the fast food chains, both the national chains and the local chains of fast food, people think that it's normal to go up to a place and get a bunch of wings. People think it's normal to, to make your food all of bur- about burgers and what have you. People think it's normal not to eat, unfortunately, eat the foods we just talked about. Let me jump in. Go ahead, jump in. I know you've been waiting. Go ahead. The tragedy is my, my granddaughter, she eats the kind of food we're talking about. My granddaughter eats fresh fruits and vegetables all the time. She is teased by her friends because she eats healthy. People who are eating healthy, people who are worked out, they used to be, and I think they still are, called health nuts. What? How can you be nutty when you're eating properly and you're exercising? Seems to me the person who's saying you're a health now, nut see? is indeed the health nut. Yes. Okay? Now, Terry, come on back now. Let's talk a little bit more about food deserts. Food deserts means that you're not near a place where you can get good food. That's, so the, well, no, but it, the food desert. Yeah, that's a food desert. That's a, that's food, a food desert. desert. So I think what they're saying, uh, your, your girl who you talked about, I would think what they're saying is if you live more than a mile from a, a good grocery store, you're in a food desert. In an urban area, if you're in a rural area, it may be 10 or 20 miles away. And she actually calculated your years of potential life lost as a result of not having those kinds of grocery outlets near you. But I'm taking it one step further to say even if you have those grocery out- outlets near you and you have never been acclimated to eating greens and beans you won't go you won't look for it so we're going to still and we and our engine our food buds our taste buds have been engineered by our government to want you to have something that's greasy 
salty, and crunchy. And sweet. And sweet. But if you go and look at, uh, you look at what's, what's most in our communities, that's why, why do you think the crust is so thick on the chicken, the, the stuff that they serve in our community? And it's salted. And it's crunchy. And that's when, and why do you think we eat so many french fries? Because they're salted. And they're greasy. And they're crunchy. And so these are the things that are, I mean, Thomas Earl, when I was growing up, we didn't get French I didn't just had to think about that. If we got French fries, we had to go find the potatoes, peel them, and then cut them and slice them and put them in the grease. And it wasn't, we didn't have no deep fries or anything. We had to put it in the skillet, Thomas Earl. <laughs> now, Dr. The, Britt. The, the, other, the other thing with food deserts, we have to look at food deserts both as a noun and a verb. And a verb. What well, do hold I mean? on. Let me take, get Zena because she's been waiting. Zena, want to go ahead and get to Zena. She's been waiting. Go right here, Zena. Zena, did we lose her? Well, she left. Now go ahead, Dr. Britt. So, so with respect to food doesn't being a noun and a verb, the verb means that the good food store deserted. The good food store deserted the community. You guys know some food stores that was in your neighborhood. They are gone. They have deserted you. So food desert is both a noun and a verb. And it's not just food deserts. It's just that food deserts. But we have educational deserts. We have manufacturing deserts. We have job deserts. You know, these are things that are helping to ensure, since we have a business student here in the studio with us from Chicago State, you we just had a conversation. We'll talk about it another time. But I'm looking at how did we lose over the last, we talk about this all the time, over the last 20, 25 years, we went from six black banks in Chicago to maybe one. We went from 23 black automobile dealerships to zero. We lost, with, there has been no progress. We have not made any progress. We have gone backwards. I don't think anybody think that we made progress. They're crazy as hell because there is no progress. There has been regression. And if we don't just like and what we're seeing now with the coronavirus is an expression, not necessarily about the virus, but it's an expression of the loss of the infrastructure in our communities where we don't have necessarily good hospitals to go to, where we don't have and been eating out of these stores that grow up in food deserts. Uh, these are these are the things that are. Why do you think you have diabetes? How do you think you get heart disease? How do you think you get strokes? Those are all diseases caused by the lack of the right food and not enough of the right food. And so when you get diabetes is not caused by sugar. That's crazy. There's no such thing. They call it sugar diabetes because your blood sugar is up, but it's not caused by sugar. It's caused by saturated fat. Killing the cells in your pancreas, the beta cells that make insulin. And, and also, there's a second part to this called insulin resistance. We won't get into it right now. But where do you think all that stuff comes from that blocks up your arteries to your brain and to your heart and to your legs? You don't have a separate disease called stroke and a separate disease called heart attacks and a separate disease that blocks the arteries in your legs. It's all the same disease. Atherosclerosis. That's all it is. Atherosclerosis. And we name it by where it is, but it's everywhere. If you got blood disease, if you got this problem anywhere in your body, you got it everywhere, in every artery that feeds every organ in your body. So 
Obesity is not something new. Obesity is caused when you eat more calories than you need, particularly the bad calories that are hyper-concentrated. That's why, when I say hyper-concentrated, when you eat the sweets, what else, Dr. Britt, that creates situations for all of this kind of foolishness? Well, well, truth told is when you eat excess calories, if we try to give a number of the right amount of calories we should be consuming per day for the average individual, it's about 2,000 calories. When you consume way more than 2,000 calories, it's not being used for growth development and, and, uh, and repair. So it's not being used for growth development and repair. It becomes what we call excess calories. Excess calories are stored, and the principal storage depot for excess calories is fat. Even if those calories came from good sources, it's still excess, so it's stored as fat. And what happens with the fat, the more fat you have, the more of a hormone you produce called resistin. Resistin is a hormone that comes from uh, fatty uh, fat cells. Those that hormone resistance sits on the cells of all your of all your body throughout your body. Uh, the resistant resists the action of insulin. Insulin has to get into the cells so that uh, uh, so they can influence the uh, the sugar that it brings in. And so what happens is insulin increases the uptake and utility of, of, uh, of uh, different molecules, different nutrients. If you have resistance sitting on the cell, you don't get that, uh, the, the nutrients into the cell. When you don't get the nutrients into the cell, you develop a condition called, one condition called diabetes. So resistance comes from fat. It resists the action of insulin. Insulin is to improve the cellular uptake and cellular utility when you say uptake, of what nutrients. Do you mean by when you say uptake, what do you mean? The cell does all the work. The cell is the basic functional unit of the body. It does all the work. In order for the cell to do work, the cell has to do what? It has to get nutrients. It uses the nutrients for energy. And as it does work, it has to get rid of the waste products. So the, the nutrients that's in the blood goes through the, uh, the, uh, the area outside of the blood, outside of the cell called the extravascular extracellular space, and it gets into the cell. It gets into the cell by the action of insulin. So insulin resistant means it's being resistant to get into the cell. If you don't get into the cell, the cell can't do its work. And then the cell cries out for more nutrients, i.e. sugar, and that's how you start getting fat, okay? Uh, good morning, Mr. Mason, and good morning to your guests. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, I, I want to e e expand on your uh, conversation. Okay, uh, for some reason, this COVID-19, it was, it was, it's here for a reason, and uh, I believe in uh, a philosophy, and it says like a, a, a necessary evil, and this is a necessary evil, and my co condolence goes out to the families that had uh, died and who are suffering from this. But this is a necessary evil because this is a wake-up call for the black community because any time you are only 14% of the population, but you are 28 to 29% of the population that's dying in the United States, or you are only 29% of the population in Chicago, and you dying at a rate of 60 to 70%. That's a wake-up call to you that uh, you have to change what's going on in your life, you know. And, 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 and so when you said that, uh, uh, that you believe that we are regressing, re regression, 
and I believe that that is true. We are going backwards. We're not going forward. And, and, and if we don't change uh, our leadership, our representatives, uh, there will be no black race in the near future because we won't be around for it. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because all you have to do is, is just like you were saying, it's, it's related to more than just nutrition. It's uh, the, the circumstances that we're living under. All these circumstances that we're living under, we uh, eliminated those circumstances back in 1960 when we had the Civil Rights Acts, when we fought. And, 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 and back then, uh, the people who were in charge, they were uh, uh, white people. Now we got black representatives that's holding us back, that's, that's lying to us, that's not representing our interests, that's not fighting for our interests. And until we change our representation, uh, we might be on, we, we committing to our own demise. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lewis. I, I want to say, though, that the key word Lewis said is representatives. And the other thing is that's all they are. They're representatives. And so they come out of our communities and they have to represent what it is that we choose to have them represent. But they can't do that if they're not held responsible for doing that. And every year, every so often, we have to replace them. And so we have an opportunity at that point to make a different decision. The other thing I wanted to say, and Thomas, you can jump in whenever you like, but it is true that the coronavirus is exposing the, the lack of investment, the lack of resources, the lack of, I mean, it's just like this. When I look, when I go to the Illinois Board of Higher Education, web, uh, uh, Illinois Board of Education website, which keeps all of the data on schools, both elementary schools and high schools throughout the state of Illinois. And when I look at schools that are in the community that I grew up in, Inglewood, and I look at the school, I look at the schools like that are there. I won't call out the names, but you know what they are. And you look at the, at the likelihood that a student graduating from a, one of the high schools in that neighborhood will be able to get a 21 on the ACT and be able to go to college. And that percentage, according to them, is zero. Mm. Zero. Not one. Not one percent of those students in those schools, in those schools there, will be able to look at, and don't take my word for this. Do not take my word for this. You can go yourself to the website. And you can get data on every single school in the state of Illinois, both here in Chicago and everywhere else. And so you can't expect a student who is not prepared to come. And even they have a thing called the park scores for the grammar schools, which is at least supposed to be some sort of indicator. And I want to get an educator in here to help me break this down. But when you look at the infrastructure that's gone and I'm not putting it all on government, there's a responsibility that we as yes. people have. I, my mother didn't have a second grade education and she couldn't read and she couldn't write. But I went to medical school. And you know why? Because she knew that when I came home, I had to get my lesson. You remember that expression, Thomas Earl? Do your homework. Yeah, do your homework. And she couldn't read it. She couldn't read it. And she certainly couldn't check it. But she knew I was supposed to come home, sit at that dining room table, and get some work done. And if you didn't come home with a homework, she was going to call the school. Absolutely. 
She was going to call the school or walk up to the school or take the bus or the streetcar up to the school. And that, my son came home with no homework. What kind of school is this? That's right. Even though she couldn't, may not have been able to read it. But the thing was also that there was unity between the parents and the, and the teachers. Now, now, having said that, so there is a primary responsibility for us getting educated. The primary responsibility for you being educated is you. Yeah. If you go going to school and you're not learning anything, you got a problem. You should come home and explain to your mama or to your daddy that they're not teaching me nothing. Then your mama, your daddy, and you need to go up to the school and talk to the principal. Inside of the school, they have something called local school councils. You have to, you have to uh, what is it, you have to get with the local school council and talk to them. Are your, is your kid coming home with any kind of homework? Uh, does it look like it's worth anything? We need to go up to the school and say, hey, what y'all doing? You are here because our taxes pay for you to be here. You got to teach my kids something. I want on, I listened to Dr. Mason talking about the, uh, the Illinois Board of Higher Education or whatever, and I saw those numbers too. How can my kid get a good education and you're not giving it to him. The, the education has to start in the primary grades. It has to start in the primary grades. I have taught in elementary school. I've taught in high school. I teach now in college. And my students come there ill-prepared, but they can't leave ill-prepared. Right now. Don't get me to start talking about no, this. Go ahead and talk come, about it. No, so, so, so when they come to the Chicago State University, I cannot let them leave my class not knowing how to do some things. The Buck has to stop somewhere, but it has to start somewhere. The buck in college has to stop in college, but you have to go backwards. You have to do that Sankofa principle. We have to go backwards and see where the problem started. It's back in the primary grades, and it's back with those families who don't value education. Education is the foundation of a nation. If you believe that education is the foundation of a nation, act like it. Do something. Go to school and meet with your teachers. Go to the local school town council and say, listen, I do not. I want my kid to do better than I can. Let me say something Malcolm X said. If you live in a poor neighborhood, you get a poor education. If you get a poor education, you're going to live in a poor neighborhood, and you're going to raise people who are poor. You have to break the cycle. It starts with you, the individual family, coalescing with your people in your neighborhood and going up to the school and demanding more. These people get paid based on our taxes. They work for us. We don't work for them. Get it clear, people. Don't be twisted. Yeah, and I, and I can tell you, my mother had... And when I was growing up, there was clear alliance between the teachers and the parents. If my mother didn't see something, that, and even though she couldn't read my homework, she couldn't check none of the homework, she knew I was supposed to have some. And I better be sitting there doing something looking like I'm doing it. And when it, and when it was time for the, the conferences, it was time for the conferences, she was there. Because she could hear and she could understand, but she couldn't write. But when she said, when, when the teacher said, well, you know, uh, sometime he at, at, before he could get out, I done got a pocket full of fa a face full of pocketbook. You know, I mean, the, the education is that's how serious it was. Why? Because my parents and maybe some of the parents that we're talking to now didn't get a chance to get an education, Thomas. They couldn't go to school. Many of them in those days were in the South and they had to work in the fields. They wanted to go to school, but they couldn't go. But they wanted something better for their children. Absolutely. And Absolutely. they insisted on that. That's right. And I'm not saying I'm not putting all the blame on parents. I'm not putting the blame, all the blame on school. T teachers need partners. See, teachers need partners, and the partners are the parents, and they have to both work for the benefit of the student. 
And that's, I don't see that happening. Now, yeah, you got the selective enrollment schools. You got those schools like that. But when I think about the schools in Inglewood, and I'm going to say it, in Inglewood, where I grew up, and I look at those scores, I know not very little is going on. I've talked to teachers. Students come to school, don't have pen, don't have paper, don't have anything. Terry, Terry, you always talk about the what. Talk to me about the why. Yeah, well, the why is the, the, how, the why is clear. We've also created, I think, an, a, an environment where people don't think it's cool. People, I mean, when I was going, when you were going to school, it was cool to be smart. It was, it was, it was even attractive to the ladies for somebody to be smart. And nowadays, I don't, I, I haven't been there. I used to go back to my school when I went to CVS. I used to go back to the school. And I'm going to tell you, there are some students, many students, who are trying hard. But they have to have the support. To, to Number one, they have to feel like the, they have to feel as though they're not being nerdy or anything like that because they're trying to learn. They can't be picked on because they're trying to learn. They can't be ostracized because they're trying to learn. They can't be made fun of because they're bringing books or they're working hard to try and do things. Or they want to speak properly and act like they understand how to pronounce what a verb and a verb and subject agreement is. So we, we, we need to do this. So now I think we got the callers all worked up now. Let's go to <laughs> Lee. Lee, go ahead with your question or, uh, question or comment. Thank you, Dr. Bar- Dr. Mason, for your show that you do every week. I really appreciate all of the information that I learned. Wanted to find out from you, could the disparity of black people be causing the, the so many deaths in the, um, you know, with the coronavirus in our city, uh, specifically them being placed on ventilators and also the care that they may be receiving in the hospital. And I'll hang up so I can listen. You know, it's a great question. Uh, I think that if you're looking at the hospitals that are in the black community, uh, beyond the major medical centers, we don't really have really uh, quality uh, facilities. And unfortunately, if people end up in some of these lesser facilities outside the major medical centers, uh, the likelihood they're going to have the level of expertise and they're going to have the appropriate amount of whether it's ventilators or not, uh, that, that's also a question. What I will say is that when you have, when you have, when you have uh, opportunity, neighborhoods where you have high unemployment or you've got a lot of single moms that are working, or you've got a situation where it's very difficult and, and the lack of the, the right grocery stores, and if they, even if they're there, there are people going to them to buy the things they need to cook and make and, and have their kids eat. So it's a multifactorial process. I'm not going to single out the, the, just the hospitals. But I do want to say this, and Dr. Britt will chime in here. We have to understand that over 80% of the people who get COVID do fine. No, not everybody die. Most people do not die from COVID. When you look at these numbers, you hear 70% of the people who died, but they don't talk about the total number of people who lived and, and do well. And people, sometimes you can get COVID and it'd be nothing more than a bad cold. And that's what it is for most people. But when we do get it and we have these underlying conditions like diabetes, and it's not like just black people got this. White people got diabetes, and they're dying from coronavirus, too. Um, and I think that what we have to do is our asthma. I mean, I, one of the reasons we have so much asthma uh, is because of some of the things that are in our house. Uh, I, I remember growing up 
and we had always a can of Raid, a black flag, or something that we were spraying for roaches. Now, I'm not saying all black. Do not take it as Dr. Mason said everybody got roaches. But when we have, but we did, and when I was growing up, and we had to manage it. And these, 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 these things that we're spraying or bombs that we're using are, and I'm not saying everybody or even a lot of people, but we need to look at the quality of the air in our communities and whether or not we have good, clean air in our communities and whether or not our houses, any house built before 1978 was painted with lead-based paint. If you have not, and then there's programs, if your house was painted before then, you should have your children, make sure your children are checked for lead because they could be getting lead poison from that. And that's anywhere, anywhere that uh, that happened before 1978. But we do have a lot of great, great opportunities. There are a lot of people, a lot of moms, a lot of dads, a lot of grandfathers and grandmothers that are doing great things to make sure that their houses are where that what they need to be. But our biggest problem is not those things. Our biggest problem is the food. And when you're rushing and you hurry and fast foods are made to be cheap because the government subsidized fast foods, but it won't subsidize organic food, which to me is a sin. You know, why would you substitute subsidize foods that are harmful for you and make you pay more for foods that are good for you? That is a fundamental wrong in our system. And we're going to be working with our state elected officials and everybody else to push for subsidies for people who are trying to grow and eat these better foods because it's the foods that's killing us. It's the foods that's causing our high blood pressure. It's the foods that's causing the obesity. It's the foods that are aggravating the asthma. It's the foods that we have problems uh, dealing with. So that's what we need to do. Dr. Bridge, you want to add any of that before I go to Denise and Sean? Why don't you go to Denise and Sean? Sean, go right ahead. You've been waiting. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Big Sean. How you feeling? I'm wonderful. You can tell I'm on a roll this morning. Absolutely. You're on fire. And I, I, I thank God for giving you the energy to complete your mission, to continue your mission, and look forward to hearing you every Sunday. Uh, you said a number of things I want to comment on. Uh, in terms of the quality of air, people should certainly consider getting indoor plants. I have my um, hibiscus tree that I keep in my house during the, during the uh, winter months, and that helps to clean the air. I have tulips that I bought my lovely wife that um, are indoors um, potted that I'm going to take outdoors. But that's something that we can do for ourselves. We also, of course, can. And then because, the, because the plants put oxygen in the room. That's what they that's do. They take in the carbon dioxide we blow out, and they give us back oxygen. So you're absolutely right, Sean. Absolutely. We can also, of course, as I've been advocating for quite a while, grow our own food. Um, uh, the brother who's there from the um, CSA or, or with the CSA. Yeah, he's still here. Okay, uh, my greetings. And um, I, I encourage folks to, yes, definitely support those kinds of efforts, but also to get a little plot in your backyard, get a little plot in your apartment uh, in terms of, you know, you can grow something out of a dirt-filled um, gallon jug that you use for milk or water or whatever. There are all kinds of possibilities. Uh, we need to do that. I've got plants that are starting here. The community garden that I helped to start five years ago, um, well, that opened five years ago, that I helped to start beginning nine years ago. Um, we're not sure we're going to be able to operate it. We'll see what happens, but certainly 
I have things that I'm going to put in my backyard that I can uh, physically distance from because socially distancing with social creatures and we need interaction. Uh, so I, I prefer physical distance as a, as a term. But um, lastly, let me just say that um, my grandmother and mother uh, were educated enough to, to help me with some of my homework as I was growing up. But my grandmother sure made certain that I got my lesson before I was able to go outside and, and play, you know, <laughs> when I was growing up. We do have primary responsibility for education, and we've got to take on that obligation as responsible parents. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. You're Mason. so welcome. Let's go on to Denise. Thank you, Sean. Denise, you're on oh, the Edgar Red Ahead. Okay. Uh, just two comments. One, I want to piggyback on the gentleman that just went before me because I started canning. You know, like I go to the store and I buy fresh produce all the time. Um, and I started learning how to can. I used to watch my great-grandparents do that all the time, you know, to Mason. save foods, you know, that we eat. And so that's that's one thing that I have been I have begun. That's great. To start working on. Mm-hmm. We need to and teach our children how to can, because absolutely. and I don't mean buy stuff out of a can, but how to can using what we call ball jars or mason jars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would help in a situation like this. You have food stored, you know, for situations that come up like this. But what I, the reason I called initially, um, I watched a program on uh, TV about maybe three, years, four years ago, and they talked about these clinics that they had on the north side and on the North Shore area, because that's where they mostly were, and they were set up uh, to address situations like this. They had regular drills just in case there was some kind of, you know, epidemic or pandemic like this that would occur. And and how why what can we do or why don't we have some things like that over here as well? Well, you know, every thank you very for your call. Every sun every first Sunday we always have the Mile Square system on, and that's a series of federally qualified health centers that are dispersed throughout our community. We need to take advantage of them more. Um, and but sometimes we just think we need to go to the doctor in a crisis where something we feel bad rather than maintaining. It's almost like waiting till your car has blue smoke coming out the end of the tailpipe and it won't start before you take it to the mechanic. And many of us are in those situations because we've been living in that kind of circumstance where we do have to wait that things get bad. And if you've got a single mom or a single dad or both parents trying to work, uh, these things get more difficult to be able to do, but we do have to do a better job. And I appreciate your your call. Carl, you're on the air. Go right ahead with your question or comment. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, your, your information and show is life-changing. I was just telling your, your screener that 12 years ago, my family, we made a choice to, to come up off of meat and become vegan. As a result, I was a chronic asthmatic and, and uh, had um, symptoms of, uh, of high blood pressure. And 12, year, 12 years later, I can tell you that I have no, I, I have no, none of those issues. Neither do my son or other people in my household. I have those issues since we we we, we became a plant based uh, family and we grow our own food in our yard uh, because we found out that so many of the chemicals like nitrates and nitrites and uh, dairy products that cause mucus were affecting our overall health, as well as the chemicals in processed foods. Uh, that affect children's behavior and attention deficit, or so much of the food 
has a dramatic effect, not just not just on health, but also on learning and cognitive skills. Absolutely. And all the excess sugar and everything. Man, thanks so much. That is so, I mean, I'm just, first of all, I'm grateful that you and your family have made that change. I'd like to see many more families make that change. Uh, and it's not hard. People think it's hard, but it's not hard. It's actually harder to eat, to eat bad sometimes because you pay a price for it much later. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Britt, did you want to say something? Well, you know, I just want to second, uh, do a little second on what you just said. There's probably nobody who likes uh, Briar's ice cream more than me. But Briar's ice creams comes from milk. Milk comes from cows. The milk that the mama cow produce is for the calf so that that little baby calf can grow up to be a great big cow and get cut up so it can wind up in your house, in your at the food store for you to buy. So milk is not, the milk that cows produce is not for humans. We've been using it for a long time, but it's milk produced by the cow so that the calf can get to be a grown-up cow. And a lot of stuff in that milk is not good for our children. A lot of it is not good for our children, and it's not good for some adults. I know some adults who have lactose intolerance, and when they get it by surprise, they make a beeline in a hurry to get to the bathroom. Milk is from cows is milk for calves to grow up to be a grown cow. It is not for us. And I love Bryce, but I don't eat it anymore. I know more. When you know more, you have to do better. When you know better, do better. Come on, people. When you know better, do better. And I just want to say that's why we push so much, and I'm so grateful for what Mr. Williamson does out at Vernon Park Church. Because when we, I'm going to tell you, many of our diseases will disappear. They will disappear when we start eating the way we used to eat. That is out of the land, not stuff that walks on it, flies over it, slithers in it, swims in it, but stuff that comes out of the ground. And it is the foundation of all the building blocks that our bodies need. All of it. I mean, people talk about, well, how you get your protein. Well, ask the cow. The cow's sitting, eating out, whatever comes out the ground, grass, clover, whatever else is there. But the cow ain't eating. You don't see no cow chowing down on a hamburger. No, sir. You don't see cows chowing down on steaks. You don't see cows eating chickens. You don't see that, that because that's not the order of things, and that's what that cow is not. That cow is not designed to do that, and neither are we. When we deviate and eat this other stuff, that's Dr. Britt mentioned. And, Dr. Britt, you talked about milk. Milk contains IGF-1, insulin growth factor 1. Well, what does the insulin growth factor do? It, imp- it increases growth, and a lot of times it increases growth of abnormal cells. Those abnormal cells are neoplastic cells which can develop into a cancer, so that IGF can uh, make that worse. Absolutely. So nobody dealing with a cancer diagnosis specifically should be drinking it. Because it, it will make what you're doing, it'll make the cancer, it'll help fertilize the cancer to grow because it makes all cells grow, including cancer cells, as Dr. Britt has mentioned. So, you know, I'm not, anti, I'm not anti-milk, I'm just pro-health. You know, that's all. It's not, it's not about being against something, it's about being for something. And, and in our homes, we have to be careful about the sprays, the aerosols we're using, even, even the uh, air fresheners. And what have you. We need to be careful about those things because many of our children, and if you smoke, 
I remember the worst thing that I have, Dr. Britt. My, my stepfather used to smoke Chesterfield Kings. And in the wintertime, unfiltered. Unfiltered. And be in the car with the windows up in there inhaling this smoke. And you'd cough all the way. All the way. So if you got parents out there that smoke, quit. If you don't know how to quit, you can call many places to get that information. But wait a minute. The reason why you're coughing is because you're irritated. That's and right. And then we can go to the drugstore and buy some anti-cough medicine. Now, cough is a response to you doing something to your airways. Terry, you want to get into something? Are we out of time? No, we're out of time. It's over with. Did you hear the music playing? Lord. <laughs> yeah, no it's done. It's done. <laughs> and until next week at the same time and station, may God continue to bless you with health and happiness.